Now we uh, here at Usley Baptist Church back at the end of September, well for the past, I get pretty much for this whole year really we've been looking at what is God's vision for this church, his church in this place at this time. Uh, and uh, we went, we've been for a process and then at the end of September we had a church members meeting. Notice how I drop in members meeting again if you're interested in being a member. Um, then please speak to me, come on the 1st of November. But we had a members meeting and we voted because that's what we do. We have a membership. It's not about me saying this is a vision that I've got that I say is from God and you're going to do it because that's what I say. Uh, as Baptists, we believe that actually it's about all of us. We've all got an equal say. We all have equal access to God. Uh, it just I get to have a particular role in helping to kind of facilitate us as a community. But we all have equal access to God. I'm not higher. I'm not closer to God because I go to Bible college or I'm training as a minister. And so we discern together as the body, the church. What, what is God saying to us? Where do we believe God is leading? What's his vision? Not what's our vision. Uh, and at the end of September, we, we voted to adopt uh, what we've called the 2020 vision. And it was, I, that was just a gift to say that in five years' time, it's the year 2020. Um, but it is a five-year uh, vision and plan that we're looking at. But it's also, we wanted to have that clarity, that 2020 vision from God. Um, and in that vision, we'd say various things. Um, and I'll mention some of those a bit later. But, but since then, we've been, so through September and now when I preach, we're looking at the first year of this vision. And we've said it's about getting our house in order. It's about getting our house in order. It, it's great. We've, we do some great things and lots of things are in order. I don't want anyone who's been here for a long time thinking, what do you mean you're coming here? You've been here a year and what do you mean there's things that need sorting out? People, it, these are things that people, other people have told me. Some of the things I've discovered, like the cobweb up there and the bit on the windowsill. But I've discovered those things. Other things people have told me. And so we're in this together. Uh, and so we first of all, uh, earlier on in September, we looked at how um, God provided for the Israelites when they left Egypt uh, and uh, they, they'd been slaves in Egypt. They should have left with nothing. And yet they left with the things that they needed. They left with gold and things to build the tabernacle. Um, so he had those resources. Then we, so it was about God providing for his vision and his work and for his people. Secondly, uh, it was about, we looked at David and David wanted to build a temple to God. For God. They, he didn't feel God should live in a tent. God seemed to be alright living in the tent. I mean, he'd dwell anywhere anyway, but he had a special dwelling place in the tent. But God said, no man, we, we've got great buildings, so we should have one for God. And God said, okay, but actually you're not going to do it because you've got blood on your hands, because you've been kind of a warrior, hero. So your son is going to build the temple because he's a man of peace and my, my house needs to be a place of peace. But David organized things for his son. So he got materials and things in place because he was preparing for the future generations. He wasn't just going, I want to do it now for me because it will make me look good. He was thinking, what's going to happen in the future? So we talked about the fact that actually we need to be thinking as a church about what happens next. Not just about what, I'm not just thinking about what happens whilst I'm here. So I can tick some boxes and say, well, I was a good minister. Things were great when I was there. It all fell apart after I left. Not my fault. Not my problem. Actually, that is my fault. Because if we don't put the right foundations in place now, 
then things will fall apart. And then uh, we looked at Haggai uh, and his instruction to give to God first. And we might think, well, I, I'll get myself sorted out. Once I've sorted myself out, then, then I can kind of get involved in church life. I, I can give to God. But Haggai says, no, give to God first and everything else uh, can follow. And today we're looking at Ezra and it's the, kind of the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, and people came with mixed emotions. Now I'd like, I'm going to play you two clips of uh, a program called Grand Designs. And it's a program that I love one day. I would love to not necessarily go on the program, but do what they do on the program. Um, and you may have seen it. You probably have. Um, so I'm going to show you uh, a clip now. I'm going to show you a clip in a little while. Most of us would run a mile from taking on a decaying 200-year-old house. But this week, I'm meeting a couple who have fallen in love with a completely dilapidated Georgian home. They want to restore it to its former glory on very little money and doing all the work themselves. The restoration project is in the hands of Tony Roth, a carpenter with a passion for antiques, and his wife Shannon, who works as a freelance makeup artist in the fashion business. Their dream home is a council house on the edge of the city of London. Built in the 1820s, it's part of a picturesque row of shops with homes above, in one of the most unspoiled areas of late Georgian London, untouched by the blitz and postal developers. The houses all look very well preserved, at least from the outside. It's early spring, and I'm going to see exactly what home and shower are taking on. Inside, the scale of the dilapidation is completely daunting. The basement and ground floor shop are almost derelict, and what I find most surprising is that Tony and Sharon have set themselves a target of six months to move in. What's this? Is this the gutter outside? Yeah, that's the gutter line. Right, and this is what? This great big timber. This is the wall plate. This is holding the roof up. This is shock, isn't it? I mean, look, no, not, not totally. Are you joking? Look, I mean, look, 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 it just comes away. Door. Look, it's being incorporated into the panel. That's very nice. That would be a, a very nice feature. I can certainly see through the mess to, to what lies be, beyond. I just think that it's um, it's mainly cosmetic. I know there's a lot of structural work to be done, but we do thrive on jeopardy. We've always um, made a leap when we could least afford to do so. The dozens of fragments make up an original marble fireplace, but one that surely can't be repaired. I have to tell you, I am in total awe of what you've done with this fireplace. I mean, any lesson we would just put it in the skip. Yeah, yeah, quite easily. It's, it's, it's a lot of work to put it back together, but it's quite possible. I mean, a jigsaw of a hundred pieces. Yeah. It's still got a polish, all ready to be cleaned up, and how are you going to piece it together? Well, I think you can glue it together with marble mace and glue it a bit marble glue and then patch on the back. I don't know if you enjoy that program as well. Uh, and uh, I, what I love about that particular clip is the, the woman saying, 
Well, it's mostly cosmetic. I know there's a lot of structural work to do, and I think that's not mostly cosmetic if there's a lot of structural work to do. Um, and I don't know how clearly you could see that fireplace. The, the guy had spent, they've got so much work to do. And if it was me doing their house, I'd kind of go in and go, right, this is a mess. Let's rip it all out and just put new stuff in. But the guy, if you watch this particular episode, goes through and he's sitting in the basement going through ashes and dust and picking out fragments of this fireplace and taking real care about it. I'll come to that in a second. So the Israelites, going back to Ezra, they'd been in exile in Babylon. Uh, they, they transitioned from a, being a powerful nation under David, and we all know about David, and he's beat Goliath and became a great king. Passed on to Solomon, who built the temple. But then after Solomon, they became two nations. They, they were, there was infighting, and then there was like, they didn't get on. So uh, it was one of Solomon's sons and one of Solomon's servants fell out, and it became, they separated, and one led one, one led another, and they became uh, two nations. And then going from this powerful nation, this isn't like all one year into the next, but over the, the subsequent years and generations, they went from being this mighty, powerful nation to fallen and then being taken as slaves into exile and living in a foreign country. Now, at the moment, we, we watch TV and you'll see Syrians uh, that are leaving their country. Now, they're not leaving it by choice. They are because they're trying to escape. But, but it's not like we're going, okay, we've captured Syria and now we're going to bring all the Syrians to the UK. It's, there's a different dynamic going on. But for the Israelites, it would be like, Someone's gone in and gone, okay, we've conquered you, and now you're going to come, and you're going to serve us in our country. So they, they've gone from being kind of, I don't know, top dog. That be, they've been like top dog. Um, they, they've been the best to being the lowest of the low. And then finally, um, with the king's permission, Nehemiah, if you read the book of Nehemiah, you read that, uh, he gets permission from the king to be able to return to Jerusalem. And he discovers that this city has been destroyed. The temple's been destroyed. The walls of the city have been destroyed. Um, and it, his homeland is not what it once was. And he goes out one evening and does some inspection. Because he doesn't tell anybody what he's there for to start with. And he goes and he inspects and he looks at it. And rather than thinking there is no way that this could be rebuilt, there's no chance. He says, we're going to rebuild this. And if you read Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, they, they, he, he tells some other people and they, they start to do it. It's not like they look at it and go, no. He says, this is the vision. This is, we should be proud of this place. We should rebuild it. And so they get on with it. Um, and interestingly, in the Bible, you get um, Ezra, the book of Ezra, and then the book of Nehemiah. So it's tempting to think that that was the way around it happened. But when you read them, you go, well, that couldn't have worked out like that, because they would have surely built the temple after they'd built the walls to the city. So you just have to kind of work with it. Um, it does make sense in the end. But they were both around at a similar time. You read about Ezra in Nehemiah. But Nehemiah sorts out the walls of the city. And the part of the story we come to is when Ezra's overseeing 
the, the foundations and the rebuilding of the temple. So having said, okay, we've got the walls, it's, this is now a safe place to be, we're now going to build the temple, the rebuild. What for the Israelites? This is where God dwelt. This is where he was present. This is where you came to meet with him. This was an important place. So they rebuild it. And it should be an exciting time. I imagine that if I was there, I'd be going, this is fantastic. I'd want to get stuck in and crack on with helping to do the building and find out what to do. Uh, and, and I'd be going, yeah, this is great. We're building the temple again. This is an exciting time. And there were those there that did that. And then there were those that said, yeah, but we remember how it was. We remember what came before. We know what's happened. We remember the journey that we've been on and what a once great nation we were and we know the pain and the suffering that's taken place. And so they wept. And it, what I find interesting that I only picked up as I was reading it just then was um, just how passionate both groups would have been. It wasn't that they kind of went, I'm a bit sad and had a snivelly cry. They were making such a noise that they were heard a long way off and people couldn't distinguish between the joy and the wailing. So, so both sides were passionate about this place and they were perhaps remembering different things or dwelling on different things. But they were both so passionate that it came out in their emotions. Now, usually Baptist Church, I am grateful to say, has not been destroyed. We are not looking at walls down and needing to rebuild. That is a relief. Neither is it like the house in that clip I played that's kind of dilapidated and you look at it and go, oh my goodness, it's been abandoned. Um, what I like as well is the presenter was saying, from the outside, it's been hardly touched. It wasn't touched by the blitz. And I'm, on the inside, I'm thinking no one's touched it either, which is why it's fallen apart. Um, if someone had touched it, they'd have been looking after the place. And it's just, I mean, there's no roof on part of it. There's water coming in. It's in a terrible state. We're not in that place. We're not in that place. However, we are in a position where we're reflecting on the journey that the church has been on up to this point. And we're looking and we're thinking about the future. Now, I want to show you something that we found when we cleared out the loft in the cellar. Um, this is something that we found. I don't know if you can read that. This is the church yearbook from 1966, 1967. Something I found. Uh, if you want to have a look, it's currently in the loft. There's various documents and papers and things to help us remember um, how the church was and the journey that we've been on. And, and I've, I've, there's part of me that would like to do something with that to make it accessible so that, you know, actually we can remember the journey we've been on. So I had a quick look at this and I discovered, um, you won't be able to read it, it's quite small up there, it's quite small in the document. But the minister at the time, and some of you will remember him, was Reverend R.H. Wheatcroft. Now there were a couple of deacons, or there were more than a couple, but one of the deacons was a Mr. E.W. Bateman. There's someone nodding because that was her husband. There was also a deacon uh, alongside him called Mr. R.E. Russell. Mrs. E.W. Bateman was lieutenant in the Girls' Life Brigade, which met on a Wednesday evening from 6.15 to 9 o'clock. Some things haven't changed. We, we call it Girls' Brigade now rather than Girls' Life Brigade. Um, and currently, I know that Mrs. Bateman's retiring from it shortly, Mrs. Bateman's still there and it's still on a Wednesday. 
That's quite impressive, isn't it? That's part of our history and our heritage of our church. Now, we can look back, and some people will be sad as we look back, because they remember loved ones. Rightly so. Some of us will remember times gone past. And we might do so with a smile, we might have a bit of sadness. Something else that I discovered uh, was this page. I liked this page because it had an advert in there for silver stores. So, uh, your local grocer, silver store, frozen food, cooked meats, 41 Fairfield Road, usually. This is what I, it stood out to me, okay? Um, telephone, West Drayton, um, and I can't quite read the number there, um, but it was a four digit telephone number. Who remembers four digit telephone numbers? See, before my time, I remember six digit. Um, no, I, I, met, I. And I remember when the area code went from four to five. Um, and mobile phones, I mean, they were just, you didn't, nobody had heard of a mobile phone. Um, so this was a time um, where think, some things we recognize, we can go Silver Store, it's still across the road. Josh and Deanna have been in there and bought candy. Um, <laughs> the fact that it's the, although it's usually, it's the West Drayton dialing code. I feel that that could still be a contentious issue because it should be a usually dialing code. Um, but there we go. Since the yearbook, since this yearbook, England haven't won the Football World Cup. But man has set foot on the moon. Yellow submarine and all you need is love were in the charts rather than classics. PCs, Mobile phones, iPads, they were things of science fiction. And now, Josh has just got his little thing here and flicked through looking for words on a song. We'd never have dreamt of that. We had the Baptist hymn book, uh, or whatever possibly preceded that. The Mark I Mini was a new car, not a classic, or a collector's item. Where we are now, it's a time for us to stop and to pause. We're not laying foundations for a new temple or a new church, but we have adopted what we believe to be God's vision for his church in this place at this time. And we come perhaps with mixed emotions. And some of those things we can laugh about and go, oh yeah, I remember that, like, yeah. But things have moved on and I'm okay with that. Other things are more painful. Some of us, looking at the future, we can't get there quick enough. I don't know about you looking at that house in the video, you're thinking, I don't know what vision this woman has got, but that place looks a mess. That's gonna take them more than six months to get sorted out. Do you know what we've said we're gonna go, we've got five years, and we've said our first year is about looking at the building and the policy and getting some things in order. There's some spiritual stuff in there as well. It might take more than a year. But it's nice to have a goal that we at least start work on it, rather than saying, well, yeah, at some point we'll do it, because if we do that, we'll never get around to it. We come, though, with mixed emotions. Some of us looking back, remembering the past. Some of us looking forward and the potential of what is to come. Some of us perhaps looking forward and thinking there's no way. Some think that the vision action plan, it will be too intense. Others will say there's not enough and it's gonna to be too slow. I'd like to show you what happens in grand designs to this house uh, and then our 
finish up. impressive isn't it i love the bit where he's walking up the stairs and he says nothing's changed it's been six months and then they kind of pan around the room and you go okay i wasn't expecting it to be that good but he also said how did you do it and he said with a lot of hard work and a lot of help from friends the bit that's missing from that is god the way that this church that we fulfill the vision that we believe god has given to us is when we pull together. And let me remind you, as I've been doing uh, each time I've preached on this, about what the kind of the three main things are for the next five years. It's to become an authentic, multi-ethnic Christian community. To maintain and cultivate our family ministry, that there's people here that are young babies. We had a blessing just a few weeks ago through to people that are, they were just born earlier than the rest of us. Um, and to genuinely share responsibilities based on our gifts, skills and interest. And to achieve these goals, we must 
have our attention fixed on the redeeming work of Christ and be rooted in love and prayer. The, the way we get to stand back like the people in the couple and look at the fulfillment of the vision is if we get involved in making it happen. Nehemiah uh, told the people that the walls needed to be fixed and the people worked together to make it happen. The same thing occurred with the temple. Usually Baptist Church has a life and a future as a Christian community when each of us seeks to work together to fulfill God's mission and his purpose. If we're to share in the celebration of seeing God's church transformed for future generations, then we need to volunteer ourselves for the action groups, for the cellar painting, for whatever else might be needed. And I know that many of you have dedicated your lives and done many things over the years for this church, for the people in this community. As we lay the foundations, though, of the 2020 vision, we are to sing responsively. It's what it says in Ezra. Sing responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, just as it says in Ezra 3, 11 to 13. For he is good for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Just as God was with the Israelites at the building of the first temple, he was with them in exile and he was with them at the building of the second temple. So it is with us. God was in Usley before the first church was built down the road in 1900. He was here when this building was erected in the 30s. He was here in the 60s when the yearbook was written. And he's here with us now and he'll be here with us in the future. We're going to have mixed emotions. But we need to be sensitive to one another, to our history and our heritage, and to the future hope that we have in the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not my vision. It's actually, it's not even your vision. It's God's vision. The question is, will each of us be part of making that vision come into fruition?